a joy to be able to come back and open up God's Word um, to you this morning. And thank you, Prudence, for, for reading the Scriptures. As you can see, the title of my message this morning is The Guarantees of Knowing Jesus. I wonder how many guarantees you've heard that have just really not gone anywhere. Um, but when we actually look at this word guarantee, it actually is a legal term and it's to provide assurance and hope that uh, if things don't go well, things can be followed through. So Bunnings have guarantees. They, they guarantee the cheapest prices every day. And uh, if you go there and you find something somewhere else, they will decrease the price so that your service will be, they will grant service to you at 10% cheaper than the, the registered price. They also guarantee good service. That's one of the things that we see with, with Bunnings. And so when we come to understand the context of this passage of scripture that was read to us, you need to, you need to understand that at this particular point of time, Jesus has taken his disciples on a journey and the journey is gone, they've gone north. Now one of the things that we need to be aware of and is that Jesus, knowing Jesus provides at least five guarantees. For the disciples to experience these guarantees, what he's actually done is he's taken them up north uh, to uh, the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, in light of understanding Caesarea Philippi, it's a very religious community. You can go there and there's the temple to the gods of Pan. There's a temple that is, stands out from all the others that is there, made of white marble that was made by Herod the Great um, in honor of Caesar. But then when Herod the Great's son became the ruler of the area, what he did was he changed the name to Caesarea Philippi so that he got into the act as well. So that when they're honoring Caesar, they're also honoring him. Now, the big thing is that we need to understand that it was called Caesarea Philippi because if we go and look at the map again, we can see that there is actually another Caesarea, which is on the coast. But in the context of where Jesus is now taking his disciples and moving them up north, he's moved them away from the area where he's primarily focused his ministry. The two areas that he's been focusing his ministry is around the area of Judea, which includes Jerusalem, where a lot of his time and energy had been spent. And the second area was up in the area of the Galilee, which is around the towns of that particular the area. It is in these particular areas around particularly the Sea of Galilee that a lot of the miracles had taken place. The feeding of the 5,000 had just not long previously taken place. People had experienced the miracle at Canaan. The people had experienced uh, the raising of the um, of dead. They've, they've seen an awful lot that's going on. But on this particular occasion, what Jesus does is he takes his disciples away from the focus of ministry for a retreat. A time of transition in his ministry is about to take place. It's not all about the miracles. It's not about all about the teaching. The focus of his ministry transitions to a new season. And the focus of our ministry is also transitioning because you and I have just come out of one of the world's greatest pandemics that has impacted and affected church life. 
And we need to understand it's not about going back. What is God saying to us now in this transition of ministry that we just don't go back to doing the normal things that we've done in church? And that's what Jesus was wanting to help the disciples to really appreciate and understand. This particular area that he took them to was an area that was not basically Jewish. It was Gentile. It was full of the other gods. It's also the birthplace of the River Jordan, which was very symbolic to the Israelite people, the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. It is in this particular area that Jesus asks them a question. The question is, who do people say the Son of Man is? Or who do people say I am, according to Mark's gospel? And they came up with, well, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets like Elijah. It's interesting, if you and I were to go out into Chelsea and walk around the community, and we were to ask the same question, who do you say Jesus is? What would they say? What responses would they be bringing to us? I think they would be coming up with something very, very similar. He's a prophet. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. And if you go to all of the other religions in our world, they all acknowledge Jesus. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. And he's a prophet. All of the other religions acknowledge the reality that Jesus existed and that Jesus was a good man and that Jesus was a good teacher and that Jesus was a prophet. But then Jesus asks the question and says, and what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter quickly responds and says, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's interesting when you come to know Jesus for who he really is, you then are responsible to do something about that information. It's not just about knowing him. It's experiencing the reality of who he is. In Jesus' response to Peter at this particular point in time, he provides at least five guarantees to not only Peter, but also to the other disciples because they also were acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And when you come to understand the reality of who Jesus is, Then you experience these four or five blessings that he, or uh, guarantees that he expresses to them. And so we see that the first one is, it's a guarantee of a word of blessing. Notice who Jesus actually says. He says, blessed are you Simon, son of John, son of Jonah. He's addressing Simon in his birth name. Simon didn't have to change at this particular point of time in order to receive the blessing. 
He just had to come to a place of knowing who Jesus Christ really is. The reality of this particular issue is that Jesus comes and he pours out blessings to everybody who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the son of the living God. And he addresses you before you even have to change a thing. In most instances, when we are wanting to be accepted and have a sense of belonging, they say you need to change the way you look, the way that you act, the way you behave. But not with Jesus. In fact, Jesus was accused of mixing it with sinners and tax collectors and not hanging out with the in-group. Do people feel accepted when they come in through your doors? The question here that Jesus is raising here is that I want you to fully understand the reality of what it means to know that who I am, you are going to be blessed now, when we look at the term blessing, we use it in many and very disparate ways. You know, have you used it in this way? Oh, she is so blessed. He is so blessed. They are so blessed. In the context of how we use this term blessing, often we use it when we know that people have got lots of money, or when lots of things just seem to go right, or they've just got the good looks, or they've just got everything all together. Don't we? We've used it in that way. But when you look at the words of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who will be persecuted. It's a total contrast. And the reality is you experience blessing from God when you come to understand who he is and you come to learn that you are totally dependent upon him for everything. And you can do nothing else but be dependent upon him. That's when you are blessed. When you let go of your control. When everything else is out of control, you call upon the name of Jesus. That is when you are truly blessed and you experience the blessing. But so many, many of us want to control our own lives, want to control our own destiny. And as a result of that, we might by the world's standards be blessed, but not by God's standards. And in the end, we must understand that if we're not under the blessing we are still under the curse that was established in the Garden of Eden when people decided to live according to their own ways and not according to God's ways. To be blessed is to surrender. To be blessed is to be totally dependent upon God and what he is able to do. And he says to Simon, blessed are you, Simon, Son of John, you are fully accepted because you have come and acknowledged who I am. That you have been chosen. This is a blessing. Your sins have been forgiven. That is a blessing. So much under the blessing of God. You have been brought from death to life because you're no longer under the curse. I wonder you at church, 
Are you living under the blessing and is that blessing being seen as you live your life? When things aren't going wrong, do people still see that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God, that he is still in control, he's still on the throne? That's what it means to be in the blessing of God. Well, the second guarantee is a word of revelation. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. To know Jesus isn't just to do a study about him and read about him in the Bible or even read about him in history. The understanding of who Jesus is, is to know Jesus comes by a revelation by God coming and opening your eyes to the reality who Jesus Christ really is. It's not about information. It's about what he does in your life and who he is and what he's able to do. It's insight and understanding that only comes about from knowing Jesus by personal experience. There's two words in the Greek language for the word know. One means to know by general information and understanding, and it's head knowledge. And the other one is to know by personal experience, to know from personal encounter. And it's like the old song, to get a touch from the Lord is so real. If you draw near to him, he draws near to you. The reality, when you come to know Jesus in the reality of who he he really, really is, Your life is changed and you live differently because of the revelation that has come to you by the Father. The Father enables you to, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. He's done everything for you. There is nothing that you need to do to be accepted before me apart from accepting the knowledge of knowing this is my son the reality of this comes from revelation i wonder this morning do you know him or do you know an awful lot about him and in many of our churches we do a lot of bible study and we do a lot of understand do a lot of research and we even do a lot of praying but do we know him Does the knowledge and the information that we have of him, does it make any difference in our life? Or do we just know about him? Because once you know him, it changes your life. It's interesting. uh, There's a little saying, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Last year, I had the privilege of being introduced to a high executive with the Geelong Football Club. And it's amazing what the knowledge of this high executive was able to open doors for me. I was able to get to football matches to watch the Cats play. And uh, as a result of that, I wasn't just sitting in the stands. I was able to sit in an area that very few other people were able to enter and then to go but not only that I was able to get food and drinks 
the element of, it wasn't what I knew. It was who I knew that opened the door and of opportunity for me to be able to go in and watch, not just watch the game, but to get a greater experience of what the club was all about. When we come to know Jesus, it's better than knowing a high executive of a football club. And when our eyes are open to the reality of who we know, it provides wonderful opportunities for us that we would never experience if we didn't know Jesus. It comes by revelation. Well, the third guarantee is a word of transformation. You notice that Simon is blessed by his name that he was born into. But then the transformation in the, the word Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter. You're no longer going to be identified by your birth name. You're going to be identified by the transformed name that I'm giving to you, which is Peter, the rock. When you go, uh, have any of you been raised uh, in the Catholic Church? Okay. Some of you have been raised in the Catholic Church uh, or even in an Anglican church, but mainly in within the Catholic Church. Uh, your parents take you to be baptized. Now, at your baptism service within the Catholic structure and the way they, the system that they operate, the priest will ask you, what is his name? You, you have a birth name, but then you have a baptismal name. And that baptismal name is generally identified with one of the saints. And that's who you are now being identified with at your, from your baptism. So that the reality from your baptism, you will be living out the life similar to one of the saints. That's the whole purpose of the issue of baptism. Now, for those of us who uh, are Baptists, we also, with regarding baptism... The reason why we baptize people backwards, or I baptize people back backwards, but sometimes you do it forwards as well. But the whole purpose of baptism is to deal with death. It's to deal with death. The death of the old nature. Now, in baptism, we raise them back up again. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and the reality is that you walk you are then raised and then you walk out of your baptism experience in the newness of your identity. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And if ever we needed Jesus to be seen in each and every one of you, it is now. The transformed life comes of living under the identity of who we are in the new nature of who Christ makes us to be. The whole purpose of coming to faith in Jesus is according to John 1 John 3 is that we will become like him. That as we continue to grow, the transformation process is not just an instantaneously immediate transformation. It's like the butterfly that goes into a, it's like the cact, uh, caterpillar who goes into a cocoon. And then for a period of time, there's this process that's going on. And if you understand, if you've ever watched a caterpillar 
and the cat uh, uh, and its chrysalis then change. If you short circuit the changing process, I want you to understand the color within the within the butterfly won't be there. The whole process of the struggle of the of this little caterpillar getting out of the crosses is a whole purpose of developing its color and developing its ability and strength and beauty. That's why we're blessed. Because as through life's experience and struggle, we are learning to be more dependent upon Jesus Christ for everything that we say and everything that we do. As I look around many people, many people who call themselves Christians, I don't see Jesus. I see the old nature. And the old nature needs to die and the transformed nature needs to rise up within each and every one of us. The way we speak to one another, the way that we act, the way that we respond, the way that we work, the way that we serve needs to be from the transformed life and not the old life. You may have abilities and skills, but unless they are anointed by the Spirit, the transformed life isn't becoming evident. It's all about you. But it's not about you at all. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about the way that he changed my life. Are you living under the old nature and understanding who you truly are? Because under the under new nature. I wonder if you've heard this. Oh, that's the way she always is. She's always acted that way. Oh, that's the way he always. Don't worry about them. That, that means that person... Though they call upon the name of Jesus and they are identifying with the name of Jesus, they are not living transformed life. Because the transformed life means the way you speak, the way that you act, the way that you serve will be different. And people will see Jesus. And your identity is not under the old nature. Your identity is, and you are a child of God, and that is what you are. Who are you? I'm a child of God. Who are you? You are a saint. Notice in the, in the New Testament when Paul writes to the churches, I want you to understand, find anywhere where he says to the sinners in Corinth, to the sinners in Antioch, to the sinners in Ephesus, to the sinners in Philippi. No, he writes to the saints, the holy ones, the ones who are set apart, the ones who are different because of Jesus. He's all I need. And allowing Jesus to bring the transformed by the power of the Spirit of God in us will enable us to live differently, will enable us to live transformed lives. Once I was this way. I love that scene in The Chosen. Have you watched The Chosen? With the scene where Mary Magdalene is having a conversation with Nicodemus and he's asked her a question and, he, and she responds like this. All I can tell you was, once I was this way and now I'm different, and everything in between is him. Is him. Do people see the transformed life? Because they are meant to. They're meant to. And so when you come to understand these 
guarantees that have been given to us, then Jesus then gives them the fourth, and that is a word of confidence. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's his church. Jesus is building his church. And the promise is that the gates of hell, nothing is going to destroy the work that Jesus is building. Throughout history, you can go through situations and times where the church is supposed to be dead or dying. And in many ways, insignificant. And you and I are living in a time where that is actually being reported to our communities around. And particularly here in Australia, where you cannot build church buildings in any new, in, in any new estates that are being built. They will not provide any religious centers. And so the church is going to have to look differently. And the church was never meant to be about buildings. It was all of all, always about people. I will build my people. I will build my family. I will build my community. And that is what the church is. And so we're going to have to consider how we do church differently and how it, what it means to be the church. And it's not just about the gather community gathering in a big building like this. It's about being the church in the community out there. I will build it. Now, I had the privilege of being in Israel a few years ago. I went and visited Philip, uh, Caesarea Philippi. I actually seen the place where there's, it's actually identified as the gates of Hades. It's actually a massive cave that enters, and uh, there's a chasm, uh, and at the bottom of the chasm, there's a massive uh, water, and they, they couldn't measure the depth of it. So that when they talked about that, nothing was going to, nothing is going to come against what God is about to do. Even the great chasm and even the place of death and Hades and hell is not going to stop what God is about to do and what he is actually doing. That's the confidence. And you and I are sitting in a season where the church still exists, where other places and other family and other kingdoms have fallen. The church still exists because Jesus is building it. And it will look a little different to what it was maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It is on the declaration of who Jesus is. I will build my church upon the declaration that Jesus Christ, that you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the, you are the Christ. And as a result of that, that's the password, you could say, of becoming part of the church. It's a great declaration. Jesus is building his church. It's a guarantee the church will still be there because the church is the bride of Christ. And when we look at the scriptures, he's coming back for his bride. Is his bride ready? No. His bride isn't ready. My nephew is uh, getting married in October, and I had the joy of having a chat to him last night with his uh, fiance. How's the plans going? How's the preparation going? They're getting everything organized and everything structured, but it's not finalized yet. Come October, they'll be ready because all the preparation is gone. And you and I, recognizing that Jesus is building his church, need to be in tune with what his spirit is doing and saying, and maybe addressing some of the elements that is not of him, and dealing with those things. Because those things don't belong in kingdom. 
They're not kingdom reflective. But we have this confidence that he who began a good work will complete it. This confidence, I will build my church. What I built will never be destroyed. And I am glad that he's building it. I'm glad that he's doing it in me. And I'm glad that he's doing it in you. Come and do the work of kingdom building in my life and church building. Well, the last guarantee is a word or a guarantee of responsibility. Jesus said to his disciples, and I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Keys. What's the purpose of keys? They're meant to open. They're meant to turn on cars. They're meant to open doors and they're also meant to lock doors. But what do we often as parents do with our keys? We lose them. We place them somewhere and we've forgotten where we've put them. That's correct. What else do we do with our keys? Pardon? We share them. We give them to somebody else. Yeah, here's the key. With regarding particularly um, in light of in the olden days, uh, I can still remember, we had what they call the coming of age. Now, the coming of age, those of you who are a little older, um, they had a celebration. And in that celebration, they had a, they gave the person, whether it was a girl or a boy, they gave them, said, now you have earned the right to have the keys to the house. I'm giving you responsibility. You are now at an age of responsibility and you have the opportunity now and I'm giving you the keys to the house. You have the keys. It's amazing what some kids do with, when they get the keys to the car or the keys to the house and they don't necessarily treat the house or the car in the way that the mum and dad want it. They treat it in their own way to the point sometimes they have car accidents. Sometimes they have other things. They throw parties at the house when mom and dad are not there, not looking. The element is you and I have been given keys. But one of the other things, one of the other things that parents have done, and particularly those parents of young kids, we give them to kids to play with. Why? Because it becomes a rattle. It becomes an entertainment thing. It becomes a thing that people, it, it's, it becomes a major distraction. I wonder how many of you, knowing that you've been given the keys to the kingdom, have lost your keys. I wonder how many of you have just hung them up. Oh, you know where they are, and you bring them out on Sundays. I wonder how many of you are just... Using them as playthings and toys and entertainment. Or how many of you using them for the purpose in which they were designed? So the question I'm sure you're asking is, is Graham, well, if this is what the keys are meant to do, what are they? Well, that's simple. I experienced one of your keys this morning, which was used very, very well by Colleen. 
It was the key of hospitality. I came in here, and she's one of the first people that I met. Great to have you. She welcomed me. Not only did she welcome me, she says, can I get you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? And it was actually a good coffee. And there's nothing worse than churches providing yucky coffee. Instantaneously, I won't name the name of the particular type of coffee, but there are certain types of coffee you go and say, I can't wait to go outside and buy myself a good coffee. Churches should have good coffee. They really should have good coffee. And if you don't, get a coffee maker machine. They're not that expensive, really. But that's one of the keys. The other key is the gift of encouragement. As soon as, she wa- as, soon as I walked in, uh, I, I had Robin who come and greeted me. Great to see you back. There's, there's this sense of encouragement. You actually like me. Um, and, and that's nice to know. But if people aren't feeling welcome, if people aren't feeling encouraged, they won't come back. And if you're not using the gift of encouragement, because I believe that's one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest keys, because we are living in a world that is feeling totally dis- discouraged. They're feeling hopeless. And we need people to come alongside of them, put their arms around about them, and encourage. The word encourage is to breathe strength, to build hope, to build a sense of confidence. But so often I'm hearing words like, oh, don't worry about them. And there's more energy going into certain other people than there is. And so churches become clicky. Churches are meant, not meant to be clicky. Churches are meant to be embracing and family oriented. But one of the other keys, and I was at the church preaching this particular message, and as I, prior to me getting up, they talked about a t- particular element that is one of the keys. And they said they, they were only offering that particular key once a month. And it was the key of prayer. With regarding the key of prayer, I'm using that key basically every day. As I spend time in the word and allow God's word to speak into my life. But then I'm praying that God will open the door of opportunity. That he will bring people across my path. In order that I may see who he wants me to engage in. And I'm going to offer that particular key to you this this morning. Because at the conclusion of my message. Anybody who wants prayer I am happy to pray with. Because there's something about prayer that I'm breathing the spirit of God's words into your life as you go out into the community, which is a rough place and a difficult place. But to, to know that somebody prayed for me, wow. <laughs> they used a key. Are you using them? Are you playing with them? Or maybe they've hidden them. And maybe it's time to find them and this morning it's time to bring them out and use them for his glory notice what it says whatever you buy on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed the element of understanding this context is is a message in itself but it really deals with spiritual warfare the element of understanding who you are and i are fighting we're not fighting against flesh and blood but we're fighting against the principalities and powers of this dark world. And we need to understand, I don't have an issue with you, 
but there may be the way that you spoke as a demonstration that something you've given the devil a, a toehold or a foothold. Does this make sense? Now, we see evidence of this in a few verses later on. Now, Peter has just acknowledged who Jesus is, right? He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. Jesus has now blessed him. And then just a few minutes, just that's all it is, a few minutes in the context of this, Jesus starts talking about the transformed way of he's going to be living. He talks about him going to die and going to face the cross and he's going to rise again. It's stated there in the same chapter. And you know what Peter's first words were? Never, Lord. Those are two words you just don't put together. <laughs> Never and Lord together. <laughs> you don't do that. To which Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. We need to be careful. We don't fight against flesh and blood. Jesus identified that Peter actually gave Satan a toehold and Satan had influenced Peter with his normal way of doing things because his normal way is to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the ways is deception and lies. And we need to be able to identify them. And then when we identify them, we recognize, okay, I know where that's come from. Stop blaming people. Recognize where the real battle is going on and lock it out and deal with it and use the key of discernment. There's so much that can be said in this particular area. So, as we conclude our message today, we come and understand that the guarantees of knowing Jesus as you're blessed the moment you identify him. Your sins are forgiven. You're fully accepted into the family of God. You are blessed. Even though you're going through difficult times, you are still blessed and understand this. You're giving a word of revelation. And he's still revealing his word. As you read the word, he continues to open your eyes to the reality of who he is and what he's doing. He's giving an aspect of transformation. This is the guarantee. Your life will continually be transformed. You know, at my age, I'm still recognizing that the, the Lord is still doing a work of transformation in my life. There's areas in my life that I uh, called my shadow side that I'm now identifying. And there's the aspect of transformation. I need to surrender that area of my life in order that he may do a work. Then there's this confidence. He's going to build his church. He's going to build my life. He's going to be doing these things in me and through me. Wow. I can partner with him. And he's given me keys. My prayer for you today is that you will know from experience the guarantees of not just knowing about Jesus, but knowing him and living out the guarantees in your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we don't want to just know about you. We want to know you. We want to experience the reality of who you are and the guarantees of knowing you. That guarantee of blessing, that guarantee of revelation that continues to work out, the guarantee of continued transformation and the guarantee of confidence. In spite of my circumstances, you are doing something and I can have hope and confidence and the guarantee of the responsibility. You have delegated the responsibility of the kingdom to each of us. Forgive us, O oh God, for neglecting the responsibility you've given us.
And Lord, today we want to take it up and we want to use the responsibility for your glory that others would be drawn to you as we use the keys of the kingdom. So guide us now as we ask this now in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.